Hey folks, I'm Alex Dowd. And I'm Katie Wright. We're talking about two films today on the podcast, uh, starting with Pixar's Onward, featuring Tom Holland and Chris Pratt, and they're in a fantasy world on, a, on an adventure, <laughs> uh, and also Kelly Reichardt's new movie, First Cow, set in the Oregon Territory of 1820. A fantasy adventure in its own right. <laughs> Welcome right. to Film Club. So, uh, Katie, I don't, I don't like to make a huge deal about uh, release dates. I, I don't think sure. they mean as much as they used to. But I do think it's kind of significant that Onward is the first Pixar movie to open in March. We normally get one either in the summer, in mm -hmm. May or June. What, when kids are around, sure, right? Sure, of course. Um, or in November, right around Thanksgiving. Mm, uh, when uh, the Best Animated Feature Oscar is up for the ticket. <laughs> <That's right, yeah. laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, every other Pixar movie before this one, the 20-something other, other films they've released have, have opened in those time frames. So Onward is the first one to open in the spring. It opens uh, this week, beginning of March. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that actually is a reflection that everyone involved with this movie knows that it is on some level a lower impact adventure. I call it like middle brow Pixar, like middle mm -hmm. tier for Pixar. Yeah. You know, like it's not it's not the bottom of the heap, but it's not the top of the heap either. There was a time in which you could you could look at Pixar and their track record was so strong mm -hmm. that they seemed like the most reliable force in Hollywood filmmaking. Yes, absolutely. You know? Basically, from Toy Story in 1995, their first feature, till I guess we can debate where where that hot streak ends. <laughs> um, for me, it's right around Up, which is in 2009. Yeah, I, I think, think yeah. almost everything in that stretch is up to snuff, yeah. and uh, th that was a time in which whenever Pixar would make even the lightest misstep, you would say, like, remember when Cars came out in 2006, people being like, is this the first Pixar misstep? Mm -hmm. We now live in an era where they seem very fallible as an animation company. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, a lot more sequels, a lot more prequels. Um, Onward is an original property, but to me it does feel like closer to what you might get from one of the other major st mm -hmm. animation studios than maybe anything they've ever made. Well, Disney and Pixar are now merged because mm -hmm. Disney had a real hot streak in the early 90s and then Pixar started to gain momentum just as that was starting to wane. Yeah, totally. I mean, I actually kind of wonder the extent to which John Lasseter becoming head of all Disney animation, how much, you can kind of get in the weeds with this stuff, but mm -hmm. how much, to what extent uh, that affected both the quality of Disney proper animation and the quality of Pixar animation, because he was now overseeing everything. Right. So you got, uh, you got better, better films from Disney proper than right. they've had in a while, films like Tangled and Frozen, mm -hmm. um, Zootopia. Mm -hmm. But then you also, that was also the same era where Pixar sort of... Maybe started to even out a little bit. Yeah, it stopped becoming this infallible cultural force, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing I thought was interesting about Onward is that it's basically the same basic premise as the much maligned Will Smith vehicle, Bright. <laughs> yes. It's set in a world where fantasy creatures exist, but they have fairies, orcs, uh, a, a manticore, elves, all of these different kinds of creatures. No. But they live very boring, suburban, everyday lives, and there is right. no more magic left in the world. Right. It's this idea that once, uh, as in our world, once, mm -hmm. once this world discovered technology, uh, a little bit of the magic escaped from the world, basically. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it became more banal, more mundane, until all this magic that used to run through this this fantasy world was was almost completely depleted. And you know, you have things like um, a centaur who now drives around in a police cruiser <laughs> yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of running. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. pixies who 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 drive motorcycles instead of flying. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a fun idea. You're right. It's basically it's. I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's borrowed. These films were probably no, developed. it's not borrowed. Onward was probably <laughs> developed ten started being developed ten 
10 years ago probably. Oh, sure. You know? oh, sure. But it does, it, it, it is, uh, it's funny that they kind of share a premise it's in some respects. It's just kind of amusing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the yeah. Bright in general is kind yeah. of amusing to me. The main character in this one is, uh, his name's Ian. He's mm -hmm. voiced by Tom Holland, mm -hmm. aka Spider-Man in the Marvel films. Right. Um, he's just like this, kind of this plucky teenager who has yeah. some real self-esteem issues. Younger um, and a teenaged, maybe like, you yeah. know, eighth, ninth grade. I think he's 16, 16 I think they reveal, you know, yeah. his, his 16th birthday's oh, come yeah, up. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he has an older brother named Barley, uh, voiced by Chris Pratt, another another one of the Marvel <laughs> He's in the players. stable also, yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he's like supposed to be sort of like a metal head kind of, but not the, not the like worshiping, you know, not right. the worshiping Satan and playing with knives kind of Satanist. The D and D kind well, of right. metal. He likes head. like power metal. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. basically. Yeah. He's <laughs> like the fantasy nerd kind of metal. Totally. Head. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> I think I joked after we saw it that if this movie was not uh, for children, then when the va his van door opened, a big cloud of marijuana smoke oh, would whip totally. out. Oh, you know? totally. Oh, Because he's 100%. basically like a stoner kid too. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Who's uh, really into yeah, like you said, fantasy metal, and he wears his denim vest, and yeah, yeah. Uh, he's really into a, a fictionalized version of uh, Dungeons. And Dragons. Which the film suggests is based in this in this world is based in reality. Mm -hmm. It's based in history. Yeah. You know, that all this stuff that's in Dungeons and Dragons is actually historical. Right. That all these people really existed and this magic existed. So we spend a lot of this movie in uh, in the front seat of, of this van, mm -hmm. uh, of the Barley character's van. Yeah. They're driving around on the express. But I do find it very funny that this movie, again, this plays right into the joke, the, the sort of central joke of the film. Yeah, sure. But in a film set in a wondrous fantasy world, we mainly spend a lot of the time on the expressway or, or or like right off the expressway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually a, a real, it's a big element in the movie that it I is. think is pretty funny because it causes conflict between the two brothers and kind of yeah. like reflects their different personalities. Totally. Where Ian wants to stay on the highway, but Barley wants to go off the beaten path and yeah, yeah, take yeah. the van places where it probably can't go because it's a pretty crappy van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that dynamic is like, is pretty strong, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I mean, again, I think there's, there's something very, um, there's something very familiar about the the dramatic stakes of this film yeah. and, and about the the dynamic between the two brothers. Absolutely. And you know and you can get a little cynical, I think, about the Disney formula of the dead sure. parent. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Many jokes have been made about this over yes. over multiple <laughs> decades. Yeah. So, um, but the two of them are pretty good, I think. No, um, I found their brother bond to be sweet and uh, realistic. You know, like for sure. they mess with each other, but they. There's real love there, yeah. and Pratt is very good in this kind of part. I mean, he's mm -hmm. sort of an over. He's like a he's like a big dog kind of <laughs> as a man. You know, <laughs> that's kind of his comic energy. Is yeah, he's like a, a big, a big dog. dopey golden retriever. Yeah, like yeah. a big golden retriever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like he taps into that really well in this film. Yeah, and, um, and Tom Holland is a nervous little Chihuahua. He, yeah, that's the energy right. he has, so it, it works well together. Totally. The plot sort of kicks into motion when uh, they, for his 16th birthday, their mother brings down this uh, present that left behind by their dead dad. It's a magic staff and a spell that allows them to bring their father back right. for 24 hours of quality time. And it should less. be noted that not everybody has magical powers in this world. It's sort of like an in, innate talent that you're born right, with. Right, you either yeah. have it or you don't. Long story short, uh, Ian attempts to bring his dad back mm -hmm. using the staff. 
uh, but he fails because of his self-confidence issues. He brings his dad back as like just a, a pair of khaki <laughs> legs. Yeah, know? and and some feet and socks. Yeah, with yeah. just this glowing orb where his, the top half of his body yeah, should yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, uh, Just this stump with this this glowing stump, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really kind of a madcap no, idea. No, it really is. Yeah. It's it's a really morbid and 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 funny yes, image. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but I felt like it sets the movie up for that we're going to get something that's a little bit more slapstick, a little bit more unhinged than mm -hmm. the film we do end up getting. The movie keeps uh, feeling like it's it's getting ready to go into second gear mm -hmm. and then remaining in first gear. Yes, you know? yes. It remains um, it remains pleasantly chugging forward throughout yeah, its yeah, running yeah. time. Yeah. And part of that is the premise. I mean, the premise is essentially that, you know, this it, it's like this running gag that the world is, that this magical world has become super mundane. Mm -hmm. So we get scenes like the one where they, they visit this tavern of legend that's mm -hmm. very dangerous and it's been transformed into like a gimmick restaurant. Yeah, like that Chuck E. Cheese style totally. restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was actually one of my favorite scenes in the mm -hmm. film. And I really liked the, the, I believe that's the manticore that runs that place. She's yeah, like. Yeah, by Octavia Spencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite parts of the film because I think that there's a lot of potential in the concept mm -hmm. of the movie of, you know, uh, magical creatures in a mundane world. And I thought that scene did a great job of sort of like establishing, you know, both the, the past and the present in this world mm -hmm. and also the sort of blend of magical and mundane. But I think overall, it was just sort of a regular beat by beat sort of like epic adventure story and it didn't really do a whole lot with the world building like you were saying. Yeah, well, and you say beat by beat, but the movie is one, one of the, one of the, the sort of the, the Part of the premise of the film is that Ian, in order to uh, to encourage himself to experience more mm -hmm. things, has a checklist that he carries oh, around. Yeah, He's totally. like, going to do certain things and check it off the yeah. list. I'm going to make friends. I'm going to invite people to my birthday party. It gets a little uh, um, uh, maudlin at some point where it's stuff well, like, meet my dad on the checklist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just kind of feel like the movie itself is operating on a checklist in that way too. Yeah, I'd uh, agree like with that, yeah. Sort of all the way through, we're sort of reaching moments where it's like, this is the moment where they need to have a heart to heart. Mm -hmm. This is the moment where there needs to be a complication. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Pixar has always been, there's always been something a little formulaic yeah. about the construction of Pixar movies. Yeah. A lot of them end in a very similar way. I'm mm -hmm. sure you can find videos online about this. That they, all, <laughs> they have this madcap ending that uh, with a yeah. lot of moving parts. But this, this one definitely feels more than the average Pixar film, like it is following a template. Well, and part of that template is making the audience cry. Yep. Um, that was. Did so, you cry? No. You didn't cry. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't moved to tears by this one at all. But I could tell where they were really pushing hard to make me cry. You know. I found the ending affecting. Personally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the one moment of this that sort of rose to the to the occasion. Mm -hmm. Rose to the sort of glory days of Pixar, where I thought that the way that this film handles its ending. And I won't, I'm going to be very vague about this because yes, of course, it would be a sin for me to reveal the ending. Yeah, we're not going to spoil it for anybody. Right. Yeah. But there is, there, there is a moment towards the end in the climax that is, uh, the movie has been building towards. Mm -hmm. And I was caught off guard by the particular perspective that the film takes on yeah. that moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think um, I know which moment you mean. They take a certain vantage on what should be the, the sort of uh, the big cathartic tear-jerking mm -hmm. ending. And for me, that um, will say the distance Mm -hmm. that they, they, they put us from that moment yeah. um, makes it more affecting. Yeah, it is me. a creative staging for a moment Very like that. Very much so, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and by actually avoiding uh, staging it in, in the most expected way, I think they actually do bring a lot of the emotion of that moment to the forefront. Okay, so Dad, today we're talking about a director who, I, she's not a huge 
name director, I would say, but she's been on the scene for a long time. Yeah, outside her, of cinephile circles. Sure, I think of she's course. beloved by, by a lot of cinephiles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I just mean that it's not the name recognition of, say, like, oh, I don't know, even like a Barry Jenkins or sure. a Safdie Brothers or something like sure. that. She's not quite that level yet. But Kelly Reichardt is her name, and she's been on the scene for a long time. Her first film, Rivers of Grass, came out in uh, 1994, 95, started uh, gaining a little bit more attention in the mid-2000s. She had a couple films, Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy mm -hmm. but you know although her career you know never like blew up huge or at least it hasn't yet perhaps First Cow will be number <laughs> one at the box office next weekend <laughs> but like you said she is a big favorite among cinephiles and is very and she has been developing her style over this period of time in a way that it's a very distinctive style that um, to be honest I don't always um, connect with Kelly Reichardt's style, okay. but this film, First Cow, I really connected with it and I loved it. Great. I thought okay. it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, so the film is set in 1820s in Oregon Territory. It is basically about the, the friendship uh, between these two men. It's, it's, it's a buddy comedy in its own way. And yeah, John Majero, he plays uh, Cookie. He's a cook who basically has joined this group of fur trappers. They've come mm -hmm. to Oregon in, in 1820. This is several decades, I think, before Oregon achieved statehood. So we're still looking at a time when it's like a, a, fairly, a fairly unchained wilderness. Yeah, we're you know? still talking about a time when people are living in tents outside, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a fort, but really only maybe one or two people, the, the, the governor of the territory will have, you know, a full, fully built house, but everyone else is living in log cabins and tents. And everybody's out there sort of searching for economic prosperity, mm -hmm. searching for the, the beaver trade is big at that time. Mm -hmm. Some people are there looking for gold. Cookie, uh, he's there with this group of fur trappers and uh, through his travels encounters this Chinese immigrant, uh, King Lu is mm -hmm. his name. He's played by Orion Lee. And the two strike up this friendship. They now, have very complimentary personalities, I felt, yeah. as friends, where Cookie is more of a quiet, mild-mannered guy. He's a very gentle man. He's There's a Gentleman. There's this moment very yes. early in the film, and this is such a Kelly Reichardt moment because uh -huh. she loves these little tiny details of mm -hmm. character and environment. He finds this lizard that's that's sitting that's lying on its oh, back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And she like flips he like flips he the flips lizard over, over so mm -hmm. that uh, it can go on its way. Yeah, it's but that's just such a because Reichardt presents uh, Cookie as such an anomaly in this group of trappers right, who are exactly. these obnoxious, violent brutes, mm -hmm. basically. King has a different personality, but he's not a violent brute either. He's a right. very sophisticated guy. He's uh, comes from China originally, mm -hmm. and he says he's been all over the world. He's been to London, he's been to Egypt, he's been everywhere. But yeah. he likes Oregon territory the best because he's also an entrepreneurial sort. Right. He's, there are some great sequences where, you, like you were talking about the character work where we see Cookie, he does a lot of things that require a lot of small handwork, you know, like catching fish by hand mm -hmm. or weaving a basket or something like that. And meanwhile, you see King just stretched out with his feet up talking about all the money they're going to make one of these days. <laughs> but he's a very philosophical soul, yeah, too, you yeah. know. And, and he, he, he came to America because, and, and particularly to Oregon, because mm -hmm. he sees it as a place that's still largely untouched by man. Yep. Um, and I think this movie in general is about uh, the birth of a certain kind of American dream, mm -hmm. about being an entrep entrepreneur in America, mm -hmm. and about where that begins. Uh, the title refers to this cow that, that a wealthy landowner, mm -hmm. uh, played by Toby Jones, yes, owns. Yes, Toby Jones. Um, 
the two characters end up at this uh, this kind of outpost in Oregon, and uh, they're living in the woods together, mm-hmm. and uh, they want to start this business. They want to start selling biscuits at the outpost to yeah. to some of the men and women there. Yeah, because Cookie was indentured to a baker back east, and so he's he's very skilled in baking, and so you know they're they're talking. You know they spend a lot of time just hanging out together, him yep. and him and King, and he. Asked him if he's ever had a buttermilk biscuit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, I think he says, no, what's that? And then so they they concoct a scheme to get the milk from the first cow in Oregon. Yeah. That's the title. <laughs> yeah, 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 and they start stealing the milk. Um, there, I mean, it's, there's not much to the plot. It's 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 no. it's a fairly thin plot, um, thin by design, I'd say. Not, I yeah, don't mean that definitely by design. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is based on a novel mm-hmm. by jo- Jonathan Raymond. Uh, it's called The Half Life. Uh, Raymond has co-written a, a number of Reichard's films. Uh, she he, he worked with her on on Old Joy, co-wrote uh-huh. the script for Old Joy, Meeks cut off as well. The novel is, uh, by all reports, is a is a more sprawling piece of work. Mm, interesting. Uh, there there are sort of two timelines at play. Right. Um, this film opens with a character finding these two skeletons in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is a much larger thread in the novel. Apparently, okay. there's a whole there's a whole parallel storyline about a friendship happening in the 1980s. Okay. Most of that is gone from this. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of Reichard's films, this thing has the kind of precision. And and sort of small scope of a short story. Yeah, she's um, so. I, I'm glad you brought up the word precision because something that I noted in the open, very opening of the film that I thought was really cool was there's this long extended shot where you watch a boat go by yeah, on the river. The first shot of the movie. Yeah, the first opening shot of the movie. Yeah, yeah, you see this boat go by and it and the camera trains on it for a long time and then. When the boat is almost out of frame, but not quite, it cuts. It's right. like this very deliberately chosen moment to totally. cut. Yeah, and that, I, mean, I think that scene also sets up uh, the kind of it, for those who have never seen a Reichard film before, mm-hmm. gives you a sense of the kind of meditative pace yes. that her movies unfold. Yeah, because I think one of the things that makes her a little bit of an acquired taste is that her movies do move at a, at a slower pace. She's right. very interested in in attuning us to a way of a, a sort of slower, quieter way of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether she's whether the film is a period piece or set in contemporary America, right. all of her films are deliberately paced. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I don't want to you know speak on her behalf, but I think that might have something to do with her fascination with the American frontier. She's mm-hmm. made a couple movies set there now, and it is a way of life that was closer to nature yeah. than now. And you know, we were saying that the plot's kind of thin, but I think that you know maybe not a whole lot happens in terms of plotting, but the movie's full of novelistic detail, like that little yeah. moment you were talking about earlier where Cookie flips over the lizard. Mm-hmm. Character detail, place setting detail, and it, the thing that I was really struck by watching this film was the closeness to nature that the characters have and that the film has itself. Mm-hmm. You know, li- there's lots of dogs, there's lots of animals in the film, you know, trees and ferns and all these different, yeah. they're, I don't, they're not quite characters, but they're definitely detailed in a way that you don't normally see. Uh, Reichardt is very into outsiders too. That's mm-hmm. her whole body of work is about uh, people kind of living on the fringe. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I think I, I, really every one of her films is about people who are uh, either by choice or through economic desperation are living on kind of the edge of society. Right. That's true in this one as well. Rarely has that been as funny as it is, though. Yeah, There's this actually one a lot is of humor funny. In this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in their relationship and uh, also in the kind of scheme that they. I mean, there's like danger in the scheme that mm-hmm. they hatch to. Um, 
to steal the milk from mm -hmm. this cow. But there's a there's kind of a there's a little bit of a slapstick quality to it as well. Do you think there's some sort of social commentary in because the film also does deal a lot with kind of themes of you know the American dream and mm -hmm. economic opportunity and entrepreneurship that this this thing is based on stealing milk. Do you think there's some sort of a commentary on like capitalism in there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're stealing from a wealthy landowner, yeah. Yeah. you know, who has the only cow in the area and he's not interested in selling. I think that this, this movie's attitude about the American dream is yeah. that it takes hard work, it takes vision, but maybe also in a country that is as controlled by capitalism, it takes a little it takes a little, kind of underhanded tactics sometimes. Yeah, too. yeah, you gotta just yeah. go out and take it. All right, folks, uh, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we will be back next week with another episode. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>